Up next is Point and Click Radio. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Point and Click Radio. I'm Bob Lawton. And I'm Jim Hyde on the coast, and Toby Molina and the Point and Click Research Desk has the night off. Good evening, Jim. How you doing, Bob? It's good, good to, to be you. back. I'm doing... At least in a tiny little Zoom window. Yeah, in a tiny little Zoom window, yeah. Toby has the night off. Well, who's going to do our research? Are we going to have to research and... and uh, we, are, we, to... we, are pre, we are pre-researched. Okay, good. So I guess we'll have to walk and chew gum at the same time. All research has been done ahead of time. Yeah, hopefully we won't be the only ones. But anyway, um, it's good to be here. And uh, this is the bi-weekly computer show. We've been doing it for way, 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 way long time, more than 25 Decades. years altogether. Since Decades. the previous century. Since the previous century. And speaking of the previous century, if you're younger than 45 years old right now, you were born after Apple Computer existed because April 1st was the 45th birthday of Apple Computer. They've been around since 1975. April 1st, 1975 is when uh, the uh, garage operation of Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak actually became a corporation. Indeed. Or Indeed. whatever they became, you know, became Apple. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, and Apple was, I mean, obviously, I mean, I got, I was into personal computers at the very beginning because I was into ham radio um, at the time. And a lot of the pioneers of the computer industry came out of that world. Um, like the Homebrew Computer Club um, was a big, uh, was a lot of uh, amateur radio operators who were figuring out ways to computerize their ham stations and send and receive Morse code with their computers. Um, but Apple was not really um, I knew about them, but I was a, when I first got a personal computer, it was a Radio Shack. I was one of the Trash 80, TRS 80. A Trash 80, yes, yes. Exactly. There was the Trash 80, and I think there was the Sinclair, but wasn't that in England, maybe? Yeah, the Timex Sinclair, that came a little later. Yeah. But the first, the real first two real mass-produced personal computers were the Apple II um, and the and the TRS 80. That's right. And you're, it was kind of one camp or the other. Right. Uh, and, yes. And, uh. And I was always in the uh, in the in the Radio Shack uh, camp until um, well until the Mac came out. Right. Uh, and that 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 won me over big time, and I've well, been there ever since. Jim, didn't didn't you tell me one time that that you and maybe your dad or maybe you by yourself built a a Heathkit color TV or something like that? I built I built a Heathkit ham radio uh, transceiver. Oh, okay. Um, when I was in high school, yeah. So talk to the world. You can see that people that like to solder things and play around with electronics would just be just be waiting for these uh, microprocessors to become available and start doing crazy wild things with them. And so that's yeah. what, that's kind of yeah. what led up to the formation of Apple Computer. And of course, Apple. Well, I, I was thinking, what if you could figure out when Henry Ford actually started Ford Motors and where were they at as a corporation? And as a development of automotive technology, 45 years after Ford Motor Company started, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, I mean, 1903. 1903 is when, thanks to the point and click search engine. <laughs> okay, yes. Yes, the robot, <laughs> so, the search yeah. bot. <laughs> So figure 1948, you know, from 1903 to 1948 was, you know, was, was uh, Ford's first 45 years. Okay. 
Well, 48 was just after the war ended, World War II. So they would have had, uh, they would have been out of the auto business and in the tank and airplane business or whatever for, for those years. So let's tack on another five years just to make up for the uh, setback of the war. And you had cars with tail fins and dual headlights and, (laughs) you know, uh, plexiglass sunroofs and all this kind of stuff, you know. So, I mean, it took them that long to get into just making things that were more consumer oriented. Um, And look at what Apple has done in this time. You know, they've uh, I don't know how the how an iPhone 12 compares to a 1980s Cray supercomputer, but, you know, it might actually (laughs) be faster. It's faster. Yes, it has more 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 uh, process more instructions per second than a than a Cray supercomputer. Yeah, yeah. So there you are. You've got a Cray in your pocket, or uh, so to speak. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> or are you just glad to see me? There we go. Yes, <laughs> glad to text you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. So anyway, um, forty-five years is pretty good, and Apple's moving right along. They are now a two trillion dollar company. And um, I don't know what Ford was worth in 1948, but it probably wasn't $2 trillion. I, I don't think the whole world was worth $2 trillion back in 1948. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. But, yeah, they've uh, been a huge driving force in the in the personal computer industry. And just like there was, you know, of course, Radio Shock is not not only not, a, not only not even in the computer business anymore, they're not even in your local shopping center anymore um, because Radio Shacks are largely aside from some of the associate stores, um, some of which we have in this part of the world, by the way. They're still called Radio Shack? They're still called Radio Shacks, wow. and there's there's still an online presence. It's kind of weird, but they're not in the computer business anymore. You know, between the, the Apple and Radio Shack competition for the first 10, 15 years of the personal computer um, field really were huge um, catalysts, you know, for, for innovation. Each one kind of trying to leapfrog the other one in certain ways. Radio Shack was always a little more business oriented and Apple was more kind of creative and, and um, you know, graphics and games and, and things like that. Um, and then, you know, Radio Shack kind of petered away into, into, into uh, irrelevance as far as personal computers goes. Well, they kept um, the chair warm for Microsoft, who was getting ready to step, well, exactly. step into the business world. Did- and IBM. Right, and IBM. Yeah, with the IBM PC. Sure. Yeah, Microsoft and IBM kind of came in tandem with Microsoft providing the software ultimately and IBM providing the hardware. Um, but um, did Radio Shack, was VisiCalc the first first on Radio Shack? I can't remember. Was it even on Radio Shack? No, it was on the Apple. It was on the Apple too. That's that's why everybody... VisiCalc, the, the first spreadsheet debuted on the Apple too. Um, and then it was, and it was kind of the, you know, the, the industry leader for a while until a product called Lotus one, two, three came out That's right. uh, for the IBM PCs. And then, and then that really kind of began the, 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 you know, the skyrocketing success of the, of the, the whole IBM camp, whereas right. Apple has always, always kind of stayed in the, in the, and that's really very true to its roots in that kind of creative, um, uh, kind of space although of course now you know the mac is is usable for absolutely everything and right apple is so very much more than just the mac now it's the it's the phone and the ipad and the mobile devices and and, and the services like tv they're in the tv production business and, and all of that and um 
they're kind of in the privacy business too. And that's that's kind of an interesting tidbit, I think, that you want to talk about we're, tonight. We're going to touch on that a little later. I don't, I don't want to jump right into it, but um, I will just say if people are taking notes, there was a great podcast that came out, I think, on Monday. Uh, uh, if you've heard of Kara Swisher, she didn't she used to be uh, partners with Walt Mossberg, and didn't yeah. they have something called Recode or Decode or something? Recode and the All, all Things D, the All Things Digital. All Things Digital, conference. right. She's been around forever, and she is uh, an absolutely fearless interviewer i mean she just goes for the gut with whoever she's talking to and um i i think it's something she has some control over she interviewed the um ceo of that uh social media company parlor like the day before the insurrection happened and she just he weasel worded himself into a corner you know uh because uh they the apple store had dumped parlor because they weren't following, even though they promised they would, they weren't following the app, app, Apple App Store uh, guidelines. And uh, Tim Cook talks about this. Anyway, there, uh, Carla Swisher has uh, has gone on to the New York Times, and she writes columns and also does a weekly podcast called Sway. I'm not right. sure what Sway has to do with the with the computers, but. Um, can you still hear me? My lights went off here. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know what it is? It's Crystal clear. It's the um, it's the auto lights. Uh, they have a um, a motion wave timer. Wave your arms around a little bit. Yeah, I'll wave my <laughs> arms around. Hey there, lights. It's okay. I can still see. I can still see the uh, the control board here. That's all that matters. Um, anyway, uh, she interviewed. She had a like a, almost a whole full hour interview with Tim Cook, and it was remarkable. Tim. Tim is really good at expressing uh, the vision and goals of Apple. And, you know, you may be able to criticize Apple along with everybody else in technology. You know, the, um, the, the conflict minerals and the offshore manufacturing and, you know, whether they're really um, uh, environmentally friendly and, and the uh, waste that's involved and all that stuff. All technology companies are, are guilty of this. I think Apple might be trying to be as, as good as they can be and still be in the business. But as far as their vision for the use of their products, they're completely committed to user privacy. And they're not in the social media business, and they're not in the business. You know, once you buy your phone, what you do with your eyeballs is your business, not Apple's business. Yeah. Unlike the other leading companies like uh, Google, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, which all make their money off selling off of selling eyeballs, basically. Yeah. 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 There's there's a uh, when we when we talk about Apple and privacy in a minute or two um, here on Point and Click Radio, by the way, the bi biweekly computer show. Um, there's a really cool little PDF booklet that Apple came out with called A Day in the Life of Your Data. And it actually begins with a Steve Jobs quote, uh, Apple co-founder Steve Jobs at the All Things Digital conference, that conference that Walt, Mer Was Ma Walt Mossberg and Kara Swisher used to run. Um, anyway, in 2010, Steve Jobs at that conference said, I believe people are smart, and some people want to share more data than other people do. Ask them. Ask them every time. Makes them Make them tell you to stop asking them if they get tired of your asking them. And let them know precisely what you're going to do with their data. And that was 11 years ago. 
And that was only three years after the founding of Facebook and not that long after Google got into the surveillance capitalism business. Right. Um, and so it really kind of planted that seed of privacy and user control of data deeply into the into the company's soil into its dna and and bob is right you know i mean they're a big giant corporation they use lots of environment uh, a lot of a lot of resources they pay thanks to their being so-called headquartered in ireland paid next to no federal income tax and all of the things that, that a lot of corporations do however to their credit um they do generally have their head in the right place when it comes to user privacy yeah yeah that's i agree anyway um i wanted to talk about a couple of other apple related things um one of the things that that's really bugged me is how apple has treated digital music i mean they were they were just groundbreaking when they came out with the first iTunes, well, I did iTunes come? Yes, iTunes came out because it was rip, mix, burn. That was before the iPod, sure. right? They sure. came out with the uh, iTunes. You could uh, cl uh, you could convert all of your CDs into your own personal digital music collection, and you know make up playlists and listen to them whenever you wanted to. And then they came out with the iPod, so you could transfer your collection over to a portable digital music player, and everything was going along great with iTunes. It seemed like a really useful piece of software. And then it seemed to be, be completely overburdened because then they opened yeah. the music store and you could start buying tunes for 99 cents a track or, you know, 899 an album or whatever it was. And so you had to manage more and more and more. And then they started selling videos and audiobooks and eBooks and all kinds of stuff. And the program started getting really overburdened. But the problem was, the music part of it, if you just wanted to play tracks at home or, you know, put them on a portable player, seemed to work pretty well. But it got so big and busy that they finally just did away with it and made separate um, separate apps. Yeah. And I don't even use the Apple uh, Music app, uh, you know, because it seems like they what they mostly want to do to you is advertise music for you to buy, you know, and it's it's hard to just even find your tracks in the app. What, well, one of, go ahead. You know, one of the big things that uh, Apple did a few years ago was going to go into the subscription music subscription business, where with Apple Music, I think it's ten dollars a month, you get access. It's the it's the it's Apple's answer to Spotify, where you get access to tens of millions of tracks, um, and you can listen to them anywhere and stream them and all that stuff. Um, and so the music app and the iTunes, the older iTunes software kind of has that conflicting mission in life i guess on the one hand, on the one hand it's it's designed to be your 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 the, the the record shelves in your den where it holds all the music that you own that you've converted off of uh cds or that you've bought from apple or that you've you know ripped off from some website on the uh, on the internet and then on the other hand it's this all you can listen to for $10 a month rental service. So it's always a little bit confusing. Like when you go to search for something, well, am I searching for something that's in on my record shelves or is it something, or you, am, I, am I searching for something that's on Apple Music? Um, and, and I agree, it's still, you know, it's, it's way better than the old iTunes was. iTunes had just, you're right, Bob, it just had turned into this 
multi-headed dragon of doom where you know right. the phone came out and the iPad came out you had to use a program called iTunes to back up your phone and that kind of makes no sense at all right and i think they just used it as a as a swiss army knife of computer interaction i mean you know <laughs> exactly yeah it backed up your phone and the apps on your phone and those had nothing to do with you know finding a playlist you liked and getting it to play through the through the output device that you that you wanted to yeah anyway where i'm going with this is um do you remember macintouch the uh, of course the um was it Rick Ford? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Rick Ford. Macintouch. They're still around. They've been around since 1985. And I just happened to stumble on them uh, a week or so ago. And they, they seem to be um, mostly in the business of reviewing and promoting software. Of course, they still do. Um, I mean, Macintouch used to be my it precedes all these apple rumor sites and apple news sites and apple uh you know commentary sites by by quite a few this is a this is years. a website it's macintouch.com right macintouch.com but even before it was a website wasn't it a um i can't remember if they put put out a um maybe i'm thinking of mac week maybe he had a column in mac week i think that's right i think he had a column before there was even a web yeah um, and I think it was the Macintouch column in the Mac Week magazine, and you would get you would get the skinny on everything that was going on with just the computer industry in general. Anyway, he's uh, Rick Ford is still still going strong after all this all after all these years, and um, he um, was uh, he had a, a little piece on a new music player called Swinzian. Have you heard of Swinzian? No. Okay. Swinzian. I don't know where they come up with these names. S W I N S I A N. Swinzian. Okay. I don't know what what uh, I don't know how much they paid the the uh, PR firm to come up with that name, but um, they should have had a contest. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's called the Advanced Music Player for Mac, a sophisticated music player for Mac OS with wide format support, folder watching, advanced tag editing, and designed to be responsive even with the largest libraries and um so it it's a music uh library and player for mac but it seems to be what itunes was before the all the other crap got bolted onto it and um it's at swinzian.com if you're interested i haven't uh i haven't downloaded to try it out you can try it out for free and i think if you want to actually buy it uh and own it it's like about 25 dollars but it looks like it's going to do for me what iTunes isn't doing anymore. That looks cool. I don't know how um, I don't know how they are with podcasts, because that's one of the things that I use iTunes for all the time is downloading and and uh, and playlisting and and listening to podcasts. When I was driving over here to the Ukiah studio, I was listening to today's Demo Democracy Now on my little iPad Shuffle, which I loaded on from the iTunes program. But uh, one of the things that improves on iTunes is Apple's support of audio formats is limited. And I think this one, Swinzian, supports every known Apple format like FLAC, Ogborbus, and a lot of other, mm. um, you know, not, not so standard uh, audio formats, uh, right, which, right. which have a lot of uh, fans. And I think which some of which might be dedicated to ultra-high fidelity, high-frequency uh, audio reproduction. 
you know, you're familiar with that, aren't you? The sure. 96K or whatever they're up to yeah, now. Yeah, right, right. Very high bit rate or high, um, high resolution yeah. audio files that the, uh, you know, that audio files, um, prefer to, um, to, uh, more compressed music formats. Right, right. Um, so I'm going to try it out and I will give a mini review here once I get it up and running because I know there's a lot of people, uh, like me, that don't necessarily uh, need to have a $10 a month music subscription because you don't have music playing all the time, but sometimes you like to just pick out a few tracks to listen to or go go back and uh, get some of your favorites. I don't I don't really have time to discover what's new in music. Have you? Do you? Have you found anything new worth listening to, Jim? Well, yeah. I mean, because I do Sunday evening jazz on the third Sunday of each month, um, I actually spend a fair amount of time exploring the newest new releases well, um, in that world anyway. Is the Apple Music handy for that? Do you get a lot of jazz on Very. Apple Music? Oh, good. Usually, usually useful because you can, on the, on the Apple Music um, or the music store, um, you can go to a genre and then you can, there's always a uh, new releases section. Oh, great. And a lot of times they will even have preview tracks of an album that might not be out for another month, um, but there will still be one or two tracks that you can buy and or listen to if you have an Apple Music subscription. Oh, right. So um, it's actually a very nice way to discover new music. Um, because, yeah, if you're like me, without doing something like that and without having the, the forced discipline of looking for new stuff, you tend to listen to the same things. Same things. That are that are well worn in your in your in your record grooves and in your brain. Yes. And uh, so it's it's kind of a nice way to kind of force you out of that out of that comfort zone and, and discover new stuff. Remind people when your uh, when your jazz show is on. It is on the third. Well, Sunday evening jazz is on every Sunday from eight to ten o'clock, and I host the show on the third Sunday of each month. Oh, third Sunday of each month. Okay. From yeah. 8 to 10. And if you miss Jim's Sunday night show, you can listen to it on uh, jukebox.kzyx.org uh, because it is archived for, I think, two weeks or something, isn't it? That's Archive right. Yeah, that's music right. Shows. You can't download it, but you can stream it. And catch exactly. up, catch up on on Jim's show. Yeah, I think the Apple Music uh, subscription service would be a good fit for you if you're if you're auditioning and looking and curating stuff for your show. Yeah, it really I, is. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't have wall to wall music going on like I used to when I was younger. You know, I just I'm just out and about doing things here and there and. I barely have time to listen to all the podcasts that I greedily download from the uh, from the uh, app, Apple uh, podcast service. One more quick um, software update, uh, and I think this is pretty good. Anybody that's going to be migrating over to the newer versions of Mac OS X, or it's not even X anymore, it's just Mac OS X, because I think they finally turned it up to 11, didn't they? Well, it's always been Mac OS 10. Mr. Yes. Roman numeral. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think they just call it Mac OS now. But I think the current version is 11. They finally turned it up to 11. To, Did they? to quote Spinal Tap, yes. It's, it's, is that Big Sur? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Big Sur. Anyway, with um, with Catalina, which is the last version of Mac OS 10, 10.15, um, and the newer version, uh, Big Sur, um, you can't run 32-bit software anymore, yeah. and uh, none of it will run. But um, there's a free program. Um, it's donationware, but it's freely freely downloadable and usable. It's called Go64, 
It's from St. Clair Software, and their website is S-T-C-L-A-I-R-S-O-F-T, St. Clair Soft, with St. abbreviated, so S-T-C-L-A-I-R-S-O-F-T dot com, and it's called Go64. And if you're thinking of upgrading to a newer version of the Mac OS, or if you're going to get a new M1 Apple Silicon Mac, um, you can check and see which of your applications are ready to run and which ones have been optimized for the new Apple Silicon. And uh, it'll it'll go through your entire collection of software and tell you which ones are going to run or not, which I think is a wonderfully useful utility. Yeah. Yeah, you can also, if, you don't, if you're driving on 128 or Highway 20 and you don't want to write down stclairsoftware.com, um, just go to the search engine of your choice and do a search for Go64. That's the letters, six, I mean, then the numerals, 64. Yes. Go64, six, go six and, um, and that'll get you there. But yeah. it, is a, it is a free or donationware, as they call it, um, uh, tool that will scan your hard drive let and let you know if you're ready if your hard drive and your apps are ready to take the plunge into uh into the big sur operating system i'm going to read a quick quote from this uh pod this kara swisher tim cook podcast and then uh we had somebody calling in i'm going to go ahead and open up the phones too and it's almost close enough to bo- the bottom of the hour that we can remind you that you're listening to kzyx philo and kzyz well it's in ukiah Anyway, Kara Swisher asked Tim Cook about the hearings on Capitol Hill, um, where the CEOs of Facebook, Twitter, and Google were being examined by a congressional committee. Uh, Congressman Mike Doyle wanted to know whether their companies bore any responsibility for spreading misinformation, and uh, specifically the planning of the attack on the U.S. Capitol, and they really didn't answer. They tried to walk around it. Uh, and so she's asking Tim Cook, how would you have answered uh, uh, for those companies or for Apple? Tim Cook says, we've always believed in curation. We review every app that goes on the store. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We're not. But we care deeply about what we're offering our users. And when we have a news product like Apple News, we have human editors that are selecting key stories. And so they're avoiding all of the misinformation that is out there. The reality is that the web in some areas has become a dark place. And without curation, you wind up with this fire hose of things that I would not want to put into an amplifier, which is what tech is in a large way. If you have a platform, you amplify things. So I think that's a pretty clear-headed view on what's going on right now. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah, good stuff. Um, you know, um, go ahead. Uh, well, I just wanted to open the phones for, for folks. That if they've listened to this podcast and have a thought about how Apple feels about privacy, and we'll talk a little more about their upcoming changes to their um, to their uh, mobile platform, because I think that's the one where they're putting in these um, tracking alerts, aren't they, where you can opt? The, the, the strongest tracking features, yeah, yeah. are coming into the next version, 14.5 uh, of um, that's right. iOS for iPhones and iPad OS for the iPads. Right. And uh, we, we touched on that in a, in a previous show, I think. But uh, Tim yeah. seemed to clarify some of their thinking behind this. Anyway, if you want to call in, this is a call-in show, point-and-click radio with yours truly, Bob Lawton, and Jim Hyde coming from the coast. I'm here in Ukiah. And uh, the phone number is 895-2448. You can call in with a question or a comment, and we will put you on the air. And um, 
Let's see. What else is going on in the great world of tech? I mean, I know there's a lot of rumors. Uh, I know there's especially rumors that Apple is going to, I guess the original lower end models of the new Apple Silicon M1, um, uh, computers that came out, the, uh, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, and the Mac Mini are just the tip of the iceberg, I guess, or the, uh, you know, the, the beginning uh, of of their changing over to this new technology that they have, but there's rumors that they're coming out with more powerful MacBook Pros with uh, a new version of the iMac, and possibly even um, new iPads that have the uh, comparable amount of computing power to these new Apple Silicon uh, computers. Yeah, yeah, there have been there there, there are a lot of rumors about um, a possible new announcement in March. Well, March came and went, and it didn't happen. So um, the iPad Pro line in particular is due for an update because Apple typically updates it once a year, and um, and it's been about a year since the iPad Pros came out. Um, but I also want to step before we go to to take uh, get into the into the phones. I want to step out of the Apple Orchard and talk about a couple of other news items that we promised some coverage of, and uh, when oh, we yeah. sent out our uh, our announcement tonight. Um, one is, um, yeah, there's been another um, data, uh, another leak from Facebook. And actually, it happened a couple of years ago, but it became known only um, only recently. It was discovered by a, a security researcher um, that uh, who found online on the dark web a data set containing personal information, including phone numbers of 533, one half a billion million uh one half billion users from 106 countries, and um, including uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's information too. By the way, so that's kind of poetic. Mark's phone number? Wow. Mark's Mark's phone number. He's probably changed it since then. I would probably. imagine so. He probably uses a burner and said probably changes it every day, every hour. Um, <laughs> and and what really what the, the the tip here for our listeners is. Don't give Facebook your phone number. You don't have to. No. Um, some people, when they will create a new Facebook account, is they they will use a their mobile phone number um, as their username instead of your username, um, or instead of a name, and. Don't do that. There's absolutely no reason for Mark Zuckerberg to have your phone number. And indeed, it's always a good, it's a great time to remind folks that you can go in to Facebook into the settings, which is the, the little uh, gear icon in the upper right corner. Um, and you can manage a lot of privacy settings. You can look at what accounts are, um, are are connected to your Facebook account, and you can disconnect them. You can look at any apps that might be talking to your Facebook account, which means all that tracking and all that swapping of your personal information is going on, and you can disconnect them. You can control what um, what, what kinds of information other people see. It's really, it's really useful to do, um, if you are on Facebook on a desktop machine, um, or a laptop. There's on the upper right corner, there's kind of a little triangle and you can click on that and you can go to a gear, little gear icon that says settings and privacy. Um, there's a, um, a there's a, there are options there called privacy checkup and uh, an option called privacy shortcuts. Um, and I strongly recommend that you go in there. When I read about this data breach, I went in and it's like, like, I never gave Mark my phone number, did I? And fortunately, I, I had not. Um, if you did, you can delete that. Um, and 
you can, uh, and then I just kind of went through and did a little spring cleaning because that's, you know, spring. Yeah. And it's a good chance to just, you know, uh, take the reins a little bit. You don't have the kind of control that, um, that, 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 that Apple will give you on your devices, but you do have a fair amount of control about where and how that, um, your information is stored by Facebook. So, um, that's one tid- tidbit we wanted to mention tonight. Uh, the recently disclosed, uh, it wasn't a hack. It wasn't, no one hacked into, um, Facebook's servers. There was an older version of the Facebook website that allowed scraping, which is a, a technique that hackers use to just basically display page after page and copy information off of it. And they got phone numbers from scraping? They got a half a billion um, accounts, many of which included phone numbers because people had supplied them. Wow. So uh, that that hole has since been plugged. Those half a billion records are still out there. But it's just a good reminder, always a good reality check to go in, if you do use Facebook, to go in and re-examine your privacy settings and, and, and fine-tune them to maximize your privacy. I'm sure as we speak, people are using those phone numbers to call poor, innocent <laughs> people sitting at home, just probably sitting down to dinner right now and trying to sell them yes. an extended auto warranty. Or, exactly. Or like the, like the, the, uh, yeah, the, the great report that Toby did in our last show on, uh, on, on robocalling. Yeah, all that kind of evilness. Yeah, when your phone, get, phone number gets out in the wild, that's, that's, that's never a good thing. Yeah. We got a call, Jim. Let's see if okay. we can get him up on the air. Uh, let's see. I have to push this button here. There we go. Hi, can you hear me? You're on the air. I hear you. This is Fred calling from Yorkville. Hey. I have a I have an old iMac that's about 12 years old, and it started doing something I didn't tell it to do. Every time I start it up, it opens iPhoto. How can I tell it to not do that? Hmm. Jim, iPhoto sounds like it's up your street. You mean, you mean even when you start up your computer, it opens up iPhoto? Every time I start my computer, it says, loading photos. And I wait and wait and wait until it gets iPhoto all started up. Do How you can have, I tell it to not open iPhoto when I start the computer? Do you have, um, well, one thing, it might be set up as a, as a login item. So if you go into the system preferences and, okay, then, that. and then choose, I think it's users and groups, and that should still users be. Users and groups. Okay. And then there's, you'll see another option that says login items. And if you click on that and if you see photos there or iPhoto, then you can, you can, you can remove that from the list. It's not there. Okay. Not there. No login do you have it? Do you have your phone always connected to your computer or a camera com- connected com- to your computer? Or even a USB, even a USB no. device with photos or, on it. That's true. Even a, even a USB no. stick of some kind that have that maybe has photos on it. No. No. Um, when my, when my iPod might be doing it, but I don't have any pictures on my iPod. It doesn't matter. It detects the device and says, "Let's look and see if there's any pictures on there." I think that you can control that in the iPhoto app. I think there's a little checkbox. 
Um, if you, yeah. if it shows your iPod or whatever device is connecting and you click on that, it should bring up a little checkbox that says automatically open iPhoto when this device is connected. And if you yes. un uncheck... That's under options. Okay. okay. Under options. And then in the, under options is open at login. I don't oh, want that. that. You, that you don't want. Right. Right. But it seems to be on there. But if... Um, well, do you always have an iPod hooked up to the to the iMac? Yes. Try restarting without the iPod hooked up to the iMac. In other words, uh, eject the iPod and then restart the computer, and um, the photo oh, okay. the photo program will probably not open. But you can okay. you have to control that if you want to keep your iPod hooked up because you move music over to it or listen to music on it. Um, you have to go into. Well, I also charge it up. What's that? You charge it. It's, it's yeah. It right, but um, what what iPhoto was programmed to do was to any de any external device that looks like it could have pictures on it, uh, it'll trigger it to automatically open. And some people want it to do. Okay. That. You know, some people want the program to do that. I think that there's right. a checkbox for that device that says. Automatically, iPhone, automatically open iPhoto when this device is connected. Yeah. And it used to be in older operating systems um, that you use the image capture app, that you could use the image capture app to make that change. Um, I don't see it in the newer versions of image capture, but if you're using an older Mac and an older uh, version of Mac OS X, then you may also find that in uh, in in the image capture app. But yeah, it's um, Bob is right. It's undoubtedly because your iPod is connected, and and um, somewhere along the line that option got set to automatically start up iPhoto when a device is connected, like the iPod. And that's not something I can uncheck. Yeah, it definitely is. You can either do it in, depending on what version of the operating system you're using, you might be able to do it in the uh, image capture um, application, which is in your applications folder, I think, or is it in utilities? It might be in the utilities folder. But if you just search on your hard drive for um, image capture, you'll find it. When you when, so look in there, and that might be checked in there. But this wouldn't be in the system preferences. It would be in the no. iPhoto program itself, or or in image capture. It was always it was a weird workaround that you would use the image capture app to turn off automatic launching of. Uh, oh, oh, I see. Yeah, on the of, older of, versions of, of, of a photo of a of either image capture or iPhoto. Okay, I'm looking for image capture, but it keeps jumping around the screen. Image capture, yeah, okay. I don't know. I'm in, Jim, I'm in I'm, image capture. No camera or scanner connected. Hmm. Well, somewhere, somehow. Well, I think the, 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 the easiest thing to do is to unplug your iPod. Okay. And restart your computer and see if iPhoto opens up. Then if it does, then you know that somewhere along the line, somewhere, 
somewhere in your system, it is uh, insisting on starting up um, iPhoto because your computer is is, uh, is is connected to an iPod. Hey, thanks. We we got another yeah. call. Good luck with that. Okay, thanks. All right, sure. Hey, good luck, Bye -bye. Bye -bye. guys. Great show. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Hello? Line number two. Can you hear me? I hear nothing on line number two, but I hope I got yeah, this man. right. Hello? Can you hear me? I think I, I just... Color. I just got a... Okay, let's go back to line number one. Hi. You're on the air. Hi. Um, you mentioned... Um, uh, Go 64, uh, which uh, brings up a, a problem that I have. I don't want to migrate past Mojave because I've got a few 32-bit uh, programs that I'd like to hold on to. Is there any sort of, uh, I guess, something like a Rosetta software that would allow me to uh, run older programs on... Um, the newer systems not really but i think um i don't know how you are, are how advanced you are in it topics but you might be able to run a virtual machine that runs an older version of mac os now can can these programs be upgraded to a 64-bit version and you're just not ready to do that or are they no longer available um to be honest they're um there are newer versions, but then it becomes the yearly rental thing, oh. which I really, I really resent. I think you might be talking about Photoshop. <laughs> right. No, right. actually, it's not. I've got the last version of Photoshop, uh, and it is 64-bit. It is. You could actually own. Yeah. Right. If it's CS6, which is what yeah. I have, which it is yeah. 64, and it'll still run. Yes. Yeah. No. It's it's a. Um, it's uh, you know a, a finance a finance program. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. And now they want you know yearly dues and um, yes, the subscription model. Right. I, 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 I don't know. Is it because I'm too old school that I resent it? Um, <laughs> I, I think it. you're in good company. I think you're in good company right here. I think we're all old school and we resent it because software was supposed to be something you just bought. And, yeah. that, and then when they looked at their license, which actually only lets you use it rather than own it, right, yeah. Jim? Right, that's right, exactly. Uh, exactly. They decide, hey, what the heck, we can just keep milking you for this and make it into a subscription. I don't know. Uh, if I was in your situation, which I'm not yet because I don't have the newest versions running on any of my computers, I would keep a, a, an older computer running with just that software. I see. You know, and there is another alternative here. I just uh, did a little bit of uh, research, and um, Bob mentioned running a virtual machine, which is basically kind of like turning your computer into a computer with a, within the computer. Um, there's a product called Parallels that um, you can oh, download. Oh, yeah. You I, can re download I remember. A you that, can get a free that... trial version. You can get a free trial version and try it out. And this article that I'm reading says Parallels is so well integrated with Mac OS that you can launch 32-bit apps straight from the dock as if they were installed on your Mac 
natively. Wow. So that might be an option for you. Um, that, and mm-hmm. uh, like I said, you know, if you just, uh, you can, you can get a, a free, um, trial version for uh-huh. parallels provided, you know, you'll want to make sure you have plenty of hard drive space on your computer. Mm-hmm. But, um, that might be worth, worth trying. That's right. Okay. They have improved parallels. I remember that. And it even works if you have Windows apps. You can put Windows apps yeah. on the Mac OS dock. When you yeah. click on them, it just pulls them up through parallels in their own in their own memory space and they happily think they're running in a windows system even though they're right up on your uh mac screen without out having to kind of switch between two systems they just run right yeah. along yeah you might want to give parallels a try i think that's a great idea well thank you very much for your help i appreciate it and i love your yeah. show thanks a lot Good luck. thank you if you end up okay. doing that um call us back and let you let us know what your experience is if you've uh if you've gone that route let us know how it works for you but before you do that backup before you do that switch over past the mojave uh 32-bit environment back everything up really back, back it up. up and honestly yeah. think twice about updating unless you really have to i mean i'm the the imac that i am staring at now is not even running mojave it's run oh yeah no it is running mojave it's yeah. not running Cat- catalina right um and this is yeah. a relatively new imac because i kind of like it's working fine and it's not broken and i don't need anything that i need in big sur i have a laptop that's also running big sur but you know if you don't if you aren't obligated to run uh, to upgrade to Big Sur, um, there's no real compelling reason to do it. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call. Thank good, you. Good, appreciate it. Good luck Bye-bye. with that. Bye. As they say, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty good advice. I want to talk uh, quickly about uh, some broadband and Starlink-related news. Um, uh, it is it should be no secret that uh, broadband use surged since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, according to an industry group, broadband use surged 30 to 40 percent during the pandemic, even reaching 60 percent in some areas. And one of the big changes in how people are using broadband these days is they're doing a lot more uploading than they used to because of things like zoom and video conferencing um you know typically we've always thought of that for most of us it's more important to have a fast download speed than it is to have a fast upload speed because most of us spend time ingesting stuff from the internet like net like netflix yeah whether we're watching netflix or whether we're web surfing or checking email or downloading software or whatever but when you're using zoom you're doing a lot of uploading because that image of you is being sent upstream to um to to zoom and to other servers and to the people with whom you are talking so um, some networks, according to this report from the Broadband Internet Technical Advisory Group, said that some networks saw more than 300% increase in video conferencing from February to October 2020. And a lot of that is, of course, from things like work meetings, online schooling, telemedicine, uh, and things like that. So um, when you are evaluating your Internet 
provider and internet service, if you are using those kinds of applications, doing distance learning or doing um, a lot of Zoom video conferencing or doing um, uh, telemedicine, you want to pay attention to the upload speed as well as the download speed. And as far as Starlink, which we are updating folks on every now and then on our show because it is now available in this area in a limited beta, better than nothing beta form, as the company says. Um, <clears throat> this month, they are switching, a, they are doing a major upgrade to the infrastructure of their system. One of the big issues that I've heard from people in this area who have gotten Starlink is that it goes down fairly often. It goes out. Um, there's one person in the area who says it's working great, but I lose about 10 minutes every hour. It just kind of go, goes dark. And the reason for that is that the is that the whole satellite constellation has not yet been launched yet. Well, um, this month Starlink is being is doing an architectural upgrade, where if you lose connection to the satellite that you're assigned to the dish will automatically swivel to a different satellite, greatly reducing network disruptions, according to the company. Uh, they write, uh, today your Starlink speaks to a single satellite assigned to your terminal, to your dish that is, for a particular period of time. In the future, if communication with your assigned satellite is interrupted for any reason, your Starlink will seamlessly switch to a different satellite, resulting in far fewer network disruptions. There can only be one satellite connected to your Starlink at any time, but this feature will allow for the choice of, best, of the best satellite. This feature will be available to most beta users this month and is expected to, bang, to deliver one of our most notable reliability improvements to date. Um, so that's intriguing. If you're out there and one of the people who are on the bleeding edge of the Starlink world and you are frustrated by the frequent outages that you're seeing, this update that is supposedly supposed to happen this month uh, might, uh, might make a big difference. Have you gotten any uh, anecdotal information about how happy people are with Starlink or if it's actually improved their, their online experience? The general consensus seems to be when it works, it's great. Oh, okay. It's the frequent outages um, that, like I said, can be 10 minutes every hour in the case of one person, mm -hmm. depending on where you're located and what kind of view to the north that you have, um, where <clears throat> any obstructions like trees or buildings might be around the location where your dish is. All those things play come into play. But people who have it and have used it are delighted with the speed and hopeful <laughs> that reality or the, the reliability, I should say, hopeful that re reliability will get better. Yeah, well, it, it, it can't not get better if they're going to keep working on it. That would be um, absolutely that'd be great. Um, we got a call. Let's see if we can okay. get some more uh, callers in uh, during the rest of the hour. Hi, you're on the air. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, can I ask you a stupid question? No. Only if it was a stupid oh. answer. <laughs> That's because <laughs> the, 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 okay. there are I've no... I've never been on the Internet. I've just got a Verizon Jetpack mm -hmm. and um, just ordered a Chromebook from Office Depot, which has arrived. 
Nice. And I've charged the Jetpack and the Chromebook and HP, the only one I could get from them. Mm. Um, when I took it out to see the directions, it's like basically it doesn't even say. I think I'm supposed to plug it in and charge it first. It doesn't say that. It just says like probably you know to to bring it up screens that will tell me what to do. And what do you right. even do with this? Boy. Well, definitely charge it up first. And make sure that your jetpack is turned on first. Yeah, it gets two bars. Should that be all right with Verizon? It's only two bars. Hopefully, you'll find out. <laughs> um, yeah. But well, then, you know, after you, when you turn on the Chromebook, I imagine that it's going to walk you through some basic steps and ask you to connect to your Wi-Fi network, which is what your jetpack has created. So, and then. You should be. You should be. You should be on your way. You you say you. And if it needs a, if it needs a password or a Google account thing, I mean, I don't know what it wants then. Um, are you saying that you've never used the internet before? Yes, the last time I did anything with a computer was computers for social workers in like 1986. There wasn't an internet. Right, uh, not not one that was available to the public. Um, boy, I would uh, I would say you might want to start out with a, a a good book that explains all of that in a way that you can can use as a reference because there's a lot of you have a lot of catching up to do. And um, I mean, I listen to you guys and everything, but you know, so I know you know all the problems, and that's why the last few years I haven't bought one. Yeah. But. <laughs> now you're using the uh, what is it called a jetpack? Is that um, it's a jetpack hot uh, hotspot? It's a wireless hotspot. I don't have access. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, two bars should be enough to get you hooked up, but you need to know all the things you know, all the underlying things you have to go through. Hopefully, uh, uh, all these um, new products you have will have good manuals or or or. Um, you know, start. It comes from nothing. That's the problem. There's nothing. There's like one page in it that says it'll come up on your thing. And I looked in my phone, which is not a one-way smart, not a smartphone, but I can read some stuff on it. Yeah. And Google it, and it basically says the same thing that it'll be. You know, where, where did, the, the, steps the first thing? Yeah, the, the when you when you when you open up the lid of a Chromebook for the first time, it is going to ask you for an email address for your Google account. Now. Presumably, you don't have one, so yes. it should give you some option to create one, and that, okay. I think, would be the next logical step. Yeah. Um, okay. do, do you have a smartphone that can connect to the Internet? No. Okay. I, I, read, I, have, a, I have one way I read and stuff, but it doesn't interact. I yeah. read the New York Times, the Washington Post, and whatnot, but I can't interact. On your on your smartphone, it's a semi stupid phone. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's it, yeah. That's a. It's dumb. a flip phone. It's a flip phone that does does this. I think those fall in the dumb phone category as opposed to the smartphone. You know. Yeah. The old kind. You know, but I, I can't. I can't. You know what? You might you know. wanna. You might wanna look into where do Where do you live? How far away are you from? Lakeport. Okay. You might want to call one of the local computer tech places and see if somebody can sort of step you through this because you could be spending an awful lot of time trying to teach yourself how to do these basic things when really all you want to do is get the Wi-Fi working and the Chromebook up online. And you could get stuck on one of those steps and, and spend hours trying to, uh, you know, you know 
trying. Go ahead, Jim. Look, looking at looking at a uh, some instructions on setting up a brand new Chromebook. At that step where it asked you to enter an email address, you might see an option there that says browse as guest. Yes. If you want to bypass creating a Google account, then you could just choose browse as guest, and that should at least get you to a browser, at which point okay. you could then start learning about surfing and using the internet and um, setting up your Chromebook and creating a Google account if you want to, um, which you may want to use for when you start using and, things like YouTube. Well, basically, we want to look at real estate sites to see about getting out of here. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you'll certainly be able... You don't have to have a Google account to be able to do that. Um, so w and, look again... And when how, you do you get how do you get email? You can't tell me you don't have time. Well, no, you'll you need a you you definitely will need an email account with somebody, and that's one good reason to create a Google account because then you can have uh, their Gmail service, right. and you can uh, okay. you can get email that way. Okay, you hope. Okay. All right. Good luck. We have a little bit of a learning curve, but you can do it. We've run out of time. Thanks for the call. Wow, that hour went by fast, Jim. It always does, man. <laughs> I know. Well, um, it's almost 8 o'clock, and you've been listening to Point and Click Radio. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to our callers who called in. Yep. See you in a couple of weeks. Good night, Bob. Good night, Jim. Take care. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolets and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.